Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Oof, this GM thing is hard. There's got to be an easier way to do it. <laughs> Ouch. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to that. Did you did you want some help? Yes, I would like some help, please. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am your host who always reads the rules, Phil. <laughs> I am already getting called out. <laughs> and I am your other host, Senda. I don't always read the rules. I, I just, I don't always, okay, sure. I don't always read the rules. We'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> Cool. So for today's topic, we actually got a uh, question slash topic from Jeremy in the Misdirected Mark Slack room. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, that goes, uh, this may be a strange approach, but do you have any podcast episodes about how non-GM players can share the responsibilities slash load? Because one of the scariest things for new GMs can be sometimes the feeling that you are solely responsible for everyone's fun, safety, etc. And with a group that wants to play together, but nobody wants to GM, it might be helpful to have a conversation about how they can collectively support someone GMing. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, to start off, right, it is the collective responsibility of everybody in the group to have fun and to be safe, right? That is not always something that is um, verbalized or understood, but as a collective, we at the table have a responsibility for making the game fun for everyone, which is kind of what goes into a lot of our advice about not being a dick to people, right? Because mm -hmm. then you are mm -hmm. doing stuff where other people are not having fun. Yeah. Um, as well as to have, right, as well as to have um, a collective um, effort to also provide a safe environment for play, right? Yes. Because that is also a group effort, right? You don't yes. want to be unsafe for somebody else. Okay. But that's not everything it's yeah. the, that's a nice start but it's not everything and to jeremy's question yeah gms you know especially new gms can definitely use support and why is that uh it's because it can feel really overwhelming all of the things as a gm that you have to juggle and especially as a new gm you might be looking at what your perception of GMing is and going, that's a lot of stuff. That's like eight things at the same time. Listeners of the <laughs> longtime listeners of the show will recognize the eight things. Uh, just as an aside, in case you are new to the show or it's been a little while since you've heard us refer to it, the eight things is a shorthand about the eight different things that GMs have to do at the same time. Now, in past episodes, we have never defined the eight things because it's really supposed to be just a metaphor for the things a GM is juggling while they're doing it. But as it turns out today, for a little surprise, we are for one time going to nail down the eight things. And then ironically, it's actually nine because yeah, nine we came things. up with one extra yeah. one. <laughs> like, Again, going back to the idea that there's more than eight things you're doing. Right. And there might be even more that we didn't think of. Here's what we of thought course. of for this episode, right? But we're going to we're going to call them the eight things, even though there are nine of them. Correct. Cool. <laughs> 
Now, that's not to say, right, let's be clear, that's not to say that players aren't doing things at the table as well. They are, but it's usually less, right? If players are doing stuff, they're doing like four things, right? Yeah. Compared to the eight things. And that's not to say that players aren't doing stuff that isn't important. What it's recognizing is that in most traditionally based role-playing games where there is a GM who is uh, telling, you know, like kind of setting up the story and like playing out the story and the players who are interacting with it, the GM has an asymmetrical amount of knowledge in the game. They kind of know what the adventure is. They know what the arcs are that are ongoing. They know secrets about the campaign world and things like that that are not things that the players know. And so there are activities that the GM, and we'll talk about this in just a second, there are activities that revolve around those things that the GM is also juggling in addition to a lot of the things that the players are doing as well. Yeah. Okay. Shall we go through our list of nine, eight things? Uh, I think we just one last thing before we jump into our nine, eight things. Um, The rest of this episode is us talking to you all as players. Right. That's true. We we are providing our advice to players. This is normally we provide a lot of advice to GMs, but today it's a player episode. So players, this advice is for you. And. I think if you are a forever GM, it's still useful because it may help you define some of the things that you can um, ask for an assist in in a tangible way that you can actually tell someone how they can assist you or means that you can employ at the table to be like, I want to offload this or I need someone else to help me out in this situation. So it can help with you communicating to your players stuff that they can do to assist you when they may not know. But you could also just say, hey, players, go listen to that episode. It's for you. Uh, Yeah. Also, right. You could just make them listen to this episode. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's for you. be like players. Right. Hey, players, yo, you know, and just drop them the link. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Because players are so good always at doing homework. Yes. I'm pointing course. to myself as part of this, right? Because I am not a forever GM. Anyway, good. The, the, the eight things. Yeah. Here's a list of eight things, right? Of, here's it's a broad. list of nine things. <laughs> It's a bonus one. Um, <laughs> we're going to still call it eight things. I don't want to, con- I don't want to confuse yep. the, so sure. it's eight things, but when we get to it, there'll be nine and you'll all just deal with the incongruity of that. Sure. Okay. This list is broad. It is not inclusive, which means that if you're like, Hey, I thought of a 10 thing. Yes. Yeah. You did. Because yeah. I thought of eight things and then three quarters of the way writing the episode, I thought of a ninth thing. So you will think of something else too. All right. We're going to ping pong through our list and uh, I'll start um, just because I love this word. Um, Adjudicating the rules of the game, right? The part of the GM's job is to make, you know, rulings and calls about the rules based on the rules of the game and based on the situation at the table, right? That's a thing GMs do. Yes. And The next one is that they are also engaging the narrative of the game. So they are scene setting and scene framing, right? Mm -hmm. Every time you set up for a scene, the GM in a traditional game, right? We defined that at the beginning. We were talking pretty stereotypical traditional games, right? Then the, the main responsibility falls to the GM to set up those scenes. Yeah. GM is monitoring the table for safety, right? They are checking around. They are listening to what's being said by themselves, by everybody else. They are, you know 
making sure that the space that you're in is being safe. They are reading the table and adjusting play based on um, people's reactions, maybe based on body language, if that's com- something you're comfortable with, um, stars and wishes at the end of the game, outside comments, etc. Yep. They are monitoring and adjusting spotlights. So they're while they're doing their scene framing and things like that, they're paying attention to who's in the scene, who's not in the scene. When should we move to a scene that includes other, you know, these people so that they're not sitting for too long? Somebody's getting fidgety, right? Like they're starting to stack dice or whatever because uh, they haven't been in the scene. So they're they're doing some they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Keeping track of the ongoing story arcs and the impact of the game and the part where you currently are on both ongoing arcs and future story arcs, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've had many of time in a game where a player will say something yeah. or something happens in the game where I've got to quickly write down an index card that like, like this will come up later. This is going to happen, right? Like right. this thing it, is going to come up at some point. It has to. It, it's not going to come up in the current game. We're going to get to that in just one second, but it's going to have an impact on some future arc or something down the road. Okay. The next one is uh, adjusting the plot of the game based on unfolding play. So you have an idea of what the game is about, what it's going to do, et cetera. The players start doing stuff and you as a GM kind of have to like shift the game here and shimmy it there and like do all the little things to keep it flowing, but also incorporating everything that the players are doing into that plot. Mm -hmm. You are also all the NPCs. So you're acting out all those NPCs and embodying a whole myriad of people in your world. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then and again, <laughs> number nine, uh, you are providing setting setting knowledge, details, and continuity. So like if you're playing a game about the Forgotten Realms and you suddenly, you know, you describe a place, like you may need to for your players, like talk about the historical importance of this place or where it's relevant in the, you know, overall story arc. If you're playing a Marvel superheroes game and you bring out, you know, uh, kind of a B-list villain, you may need to kind of quick explain to everybody where this B-list villain came from or, oh, this is, a you know, uh, this guy has a beef with the Fantastic Four, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and you're also doing descriptive work in terms of like, you know, there is a breeze, it is raining, um, et cetera, right? Like, yeah, I think that actually probably goes to engaging the 10? narrative. Is it? Is it? No, I think that's more of about engaging it's the not, narrative. When it's I'm not thinking writing about- details. Well, when I'm thinking about setting, I'm thinking about like... You think about the overall setting. Well, I'm thinking as a GM, you have to a lot of times tell players about the setting. Like, for instance, in our game, because it's a homebrew, like I have to tell you things about Kronos. Right. right? Yeah, the, yeah. The there time traveling no, company. There is no just shared knowledge. We are, Correct. We are making things up. Sometimes you are making them up as they're pertinent to the story and sometimes we're making them up together, right? Yeah. And then there's a lot of times like where... I'm pulling in historical things, Mm -hmm. mixing them with science fiction things, and then having to come back and tell you like, oh, yeah, like this is Le Havre. Like it's a port city on the north part of France. That part is historically true. But also Kronos is using it as, you know, a port to get ready to start refining oil that's going to be piped in from the North Sea. Yeah. Right. That kind of thing. So like, but that's the setting. Sure. Or how does time travel work in gotcha. our game? Yeah. Yes. Gotcha, that's gotcha. talking about like if it's raining out or if it's warm and breezy. I think that's, that's narrative. The, that's engaging the narrative. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's our eight things that are happening while the GM's sitting playing the game, right? Those are all happening in the moment. But there's also a number of things that typically get assigned to the GM outside of play. So I'll just kind of run through these uh, really quick. So this involves uh, setting up sessions and calendar management. Uh, this can be hosting. That's not always a GM thing, but a lot of times like GM's host, I host at my house for one of my games, but I play at a friend's house for another. Uh, establishing meta play. So if you're doing anything like on your Discord where your characters are talking in between sessions, right? Sometimes the GM is responsible for getting that going. Purchasing supplements. If you're playing with advent, like published adventures, right? Who's who's buying those? Um, splat books, setting books, things like that. A lot of times the GM winds up buying most of that stuff. Learning the game. Hush, hush. <laughs> you think you think that's a GM? I mean, I yes, think it winds up being be. a GM thing. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna make one notable exception because I know at some point he'll be listening to this. Not Sneezak. Sneezak always reads the rules. And in fact, in many cases, Sneezak knows the rules better than I do for the games we're playing. But after that, I mean, I have absolutely run games that I did not read the book for or that I read the book for 20 minutes before I ran the game. Sure. I I mean, I don't know if that's a flex, but sure. It's not a flex. I'm just saying maybe you don't do that, but also you're throwing some shade in my direction. Sure. But outside the game, a lot of times GMs are like going through and like, you know, learning rules or, you know, uh, trying to work to achieve system mastery, that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, It's actually for me a thing that I slide on a lot because I'm running a lot of games. And so it's hard for me to just focus on a, on a single game when I have like a bunch of other games I've got to keep running. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Lastly prep, right? Uh, If you are a prep style GM and there is nothing wrong with it, if you are, uh, you got to do some prep, right? Whether it's session prep, story prep, campaign prep, whether you're doing it in your head, whether you're writing it out on a piece of paper, uh, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but some level of prep is occurring and you as the GM are doing it. Yes. And that, again, also includes um, published adventures, reading and prepping published adventures, um, it, mysteries, like if you're doing a Brindlewood style game, right? Like reading the mystery and kind of being up on what all the pieces are for the mystery. That's all prep too. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. This is, right. so this is a lot of stuff, right? It's a big old long list and it is, why when a new GM or when when a, a group of people who all consider themselves to be players look at the potential of GMing, this is why it can feel really overwhelming to get into um, and why people can be reluctant to take up GMing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, the thing is, yeah, say this as a forever GM, the yep. thing is that <laughs> um, a couple of like a lot of these eight things are true no matter what game you're playing. So they're skills that as you play different games over the years, you just get better and better at. And they're transferable from game to game. Yes. So things like uh, engaging the narrative, monitoring safety, reading table, adjusting spotlight, um, story, keeping track of story arcs, adjusting the game, acting out NPCs, right? All of those are things that universally you do from game to game. And so as you play more, you get used to those. The two, the two mm-hmm. that hang up even the newest GM or the oldest GMs is adjudicating rules of the game. If you switch up games a lot, I do. Yep. <laughs> you got, you're starting from scratch every, every time. time. 
and setting if you are not playing in one setting. Uh, that will also trip you up. So, you know, if you're a forever GM and you are playing D&D, um, you know, your skills will just gradually increase. If you're a forever GM and every other campaign isn't like every campaign is a new game, uh-huh. most of your skills increase. And then, but not like, the rules master. The rules ones like plateau off and then that's it, right? Because mm-hmm. you stop playing the game. So, yep. <laughs> All right. You have described my GMing life now. No, that's that. my GMing life too, right? I like know, I, both of us. I play a lot of different games. So many uh, different games. I'm a generalist when it comes to games. Mm-hmm. I learn enough of the rules to get by and then like I just, you know, rely on the rest of my other GMing skills to keep everything moving along. Yeah, exactly. Cool. cool. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about providing support now. So having made the case that there's a reason for support. Yes. Which is why we were talking about the eight things, right? To make a case yes, for yes, that yes, yes. there's reason for it. Yes. Let's talk about providing support and let's talk about the foundation, right? Before we give any specific advice, there is a foundation of support that has to be present first. And that is patience and understanding, mm-hmm. right? And that, that's true for new GMs. It's really true for, for all GMs, right? Like you're, that person is doing a lot of stuff and trying to create um, a good experience for you a little bit of patience and understanding with them, especially when they're new and trying to juggle all of these things will go a long, long way. So, you know, just understanding that the role isn't always easy to get into the eight, nine, 10, however many things you consider it to be, um, things that that GM is trying to do potentially simultaneously, they're not going to improve evenly across the board. Some of them are going to be easy for that person. Some of them are going to be harder. And this is, you know, and that's going to vary person by person, depending on their life experience and who they are and all of those things, right? Some of this stuff is going to come to them really quickly. Some of it's going to be harder. Um, And, you know, even long established GMs like Phil or like me, we have strengths and weaknesses. um, But we, we may be um, sort of know how to cover for the weaknesses a little bit better just because we've been doing it longer, right? We have practice mm-hmm. and it's easy to lean on some of the places where you know you have strong skills to help support the places where you know you're not as strong. And because we've done a lot, we've had a lot of practice, we're just practicing some of that, those eight things at a higher functional level purely because of practice, not because it's a magic skill that nobody can do, just because um, GMing the same way as improv, people are like, oh man, I don't know how you do that, right? Like, how do you just come up with things? The answer is this is a practicable skill that you can improve in. And um, the same is true for all the stuff with GMing, right? Practice will make it better. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. So the, the second one is yep. um, empathy and understanding. So the first, first one is patience, right? Second one is empathy and understanding. You need to understand that games are messy and they can be imperfect. Mistakes are going to happen, whether they're a player mistake or a GM mistake. Um, things are going to get overlooked, right? You, None of you understood how the rule worked and you've been playing it wrong for three weeks. Okay, fine. It doesn't matter, right? As long as the GM is putting in the work to improve and you have empathy for any mistakes that get made and are willing to be empathetic to the fact that a mistake happened and work with them to just move forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It really forms the foundation of any kind of support, right? First of all, even if you didn't do anything else to support the GM, those two things alone 
are a lot. That will help a lot. Yeah. Help a lot. It is sometimes difficult to say or prove to someone who is potentially going to start jamming for the first time, um, who is nervous about it or anxious about it, um, to be able to say to them, don't worry about it. I will be patient and understanding. Um, it's the kind of thing you do have to prove to some extent because it's easy to say and harder to prove at the table, especially if that person hasn't had that experience before. Um, but that is, that's the baseline, right? Commit, Mm -hmm. commit to that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. So moving on from the foundation, there are things you can do to actually support the eight things that we listed. Yes. We're going to get into what those are in a second, but let's talk about there are basically two types of support that we can provide. So we can make things easier, right? We can assist or facilitate a a given activity Mm -hmm. or we can take over an activity, right? That's we can offload it from the GM. Yes. So keep that in mind, assist and offload are the two terms we're going to be using. Yep. Now, not every GM will need the same kinds of support, right? They will need less support for the things they're good at, more support for the things in which they're less adept. When it comes to new GMs, they may not know what they are good, like more adept, less adept in. Uh, They may need a few games to figure it out. So after we go through our list of tips, we will give you a handful that will pretty much universally work for new GMs. Mm-hmm. feeling pretty confident about that. They're just things that if you do them, they're definitely going to help a new GM. They'll help a experienced GM too. But for your new GMs who don't know where their strengths and weaknesses are, we got some tips for you coming up. Yes. In the meantime. Yes. Let's ping pong again through the list. Um, I'll do the first one since I did the first one. We'll do the same sure. ones. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. So first one, adjudicating the rules of the game. You can assist your GM. I, you just, you just want to say this one every time. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can assist your GM by also learning the rules <laughs> of the game. I cannot stress to you as a GM <laughs> when running a new game, because I'm doing it right now, how, what a relief it is when players are like, oh yeah, no, I know what I'm doing here. Like, and you don't have to like remember everything for them or remember the specific stuff about their characters, um, those kinds of things, Right. If you know where the shit is for your characters, like where in the rule book, or you have cheat sheets for how your character runs, and you know basic skill checks and how to do combat, and you are blessing your GM, like you are making life easy for your GM. And then secondarily, and you have Chris for this, and I have in the past had Andy for this, right? Um, If there is a player at your table as a GM who knows the rules really, really well for a game, potentially better than you do. And they are willing to share that knowledge with you kind of when you prompt them or ask them without it being like a, well, actually pushes glasses up nose kind of situation. Um, That is also super useful because then as a GM, you can lean on that player to, um, to kind of provide rules information that you don't have in your back pocket in that moment without having to stop and look it up and pause the game, et cetera. Um, So those players, when someone knows the rules really well, better than you, um, it it might seem intimidating to have them in your game, but as long as they are patient and understanding with you, 
right? Then they can be a really, truly phenomenal resource. Andy is the answer to how I ran fourth edition D&D without having run fourth edition D&D before. I never read the fourth edition books. I had run other D&D, right? So it wasn't like I didn't understand the basic shape of it. But, um, you know, then I would add, I would just be like, hey, Andy, how does that work in this edition? And she'd be like, oh, it goes like this. <laughs> Because she yeah. knew it really, really well, right? So that was a great boon for me. Anyway, I, d- I had to bring that up because there is sure. a learning the rules part. There's like, know your stuff. And then if you go beyond that, you can also know other people's stuff and be that resource the GM can lean on when they can't remember that detail about swimming or, you know, skill. Uh, what were they called in fourth edition? The like skill challenge, the, like the thing where you did a, I don't remember. Anyway, moving right along. So the next one is um, engaging the narrative of the game, which we were talking about as theme framing um, and also descriptive work. We brought that up at the end of the last one. Um, If you are assisting, you can make suggestions. So if the GM is like, hmm, I don't know where to put this next scene, then it's easy to say, well, this would be really interesting. Um, Or I would be really interested in seeing XYZ in this location, something like that, right? Um, As a player, Take the story prompts, be excited about them, follow the plot, take the hook. Don't make the GM work for it. If you're going to play a lone wolf, it is your job as a player to come up with a reason why you as a player can be excited and engaged in whatever story the GM puts out there. Don't make them chase you and work for it, especially as a new GM, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can also offload this. Um, So the GM can literally just say, hey, what scene do you want to see next? Set that up for me, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Monitoring for safety, right? Uh, We talked about this way in the beginning, right? You can assist the GM by being familiar with all of the aspects of table safety, how all the tools work. You can also keep an eye on your fellow players and the GM and everybody else to make sure uh, everything, everybody is being safe. Uh, You can also offload this by having a player uh, be the safety monitor, which is a role where they're going to be the primary person to kind of watch over and make sure that everything's being safe and basically relieve the GM of having to be the de facto um, lead person for it uh, and let them just also be a contributor. Yeah. To be clear, everyone at the table is responsible for safety, um, just kind of all around. But this is calling out that the GM generally by default is the person who is perceived as being the most responsible. Um, And if you lay that out and say, as a group where you're choosing someone else to be our primary responsible party for safety, you're both giving that person the power, a little bit more power to, to, to pause game and check in where a GM might pause and check in. Um, And then also, you know, just basically removing some of that responsibility loop off the GM. Anyway, um, good. Uh, Reading the table and adjusting play, Um, you know, going for uh, understanding body language, stars and wishes, et cetera, right? So if you want to assist, you can tell the GM what you're thinking about the game kindly. And empathetically, if you have constructive feedback, that's fine. Um, But not mean, right? Not mean feedback. We have a whole episode about feedback somewhere. So you can go back and listen to that if you are in a situation where you need to be um, receiving or giving that kind of feedback. But um, you can also offload that responsibility from the GM entirely, right? Like a player could run stars and wishes at the end of the game and share it with the GM. The GM does not 
have to be responsible for being the point person on gathering feedback about the game. By default, they kind of are, right? But they don't have to be. Correct. Uh, monitoring and adjusting spotlight, you can assist with this um, as a player by pulling other characters into scenes or uh, pushing your spotlight onto other characters. We've we've talked about this in the past, but yep. it's a great way to help the GM. If you're in a scene and you're thinking it's going on a bit too long, you could be like, oh, you know what? Um, can you check in with me in a second and maybe just go over to Bob and right. see what's going on? Or you could pull Bob into the scene like, hey, I'm going to give Bob a call or I'm going to show up at Bob's place. Mm -hmm. And now you've, you know, you've been able to move the spotlight around um, helping the GM. Yes, which is great. And I appreciate it as a GM so much when people can do that. <laughs> Keeping track of the story arcs and impact of the game on ongoing arcs as a player, there's not actually a ton you can do here because you don't have all of the information, right? Yep. That's okay, right? These are the kind of things okay. that are yep. cemented with the GM. Adjusting the plot of the game based on unfolding play. Again, not too much you can do here. Um, that's got to be the stuff that's in the GM's head. And in fact, if some of the other things aren't in the GM's head, they can actually put a little more focus into those into those two areas. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's part of the reason if you take up some other stuff off of them so that they can do that, right? Correct. You can um, act out the NPCs, right? So if you want to assist um, a GM with their NPCs, then um, interact with the NPCs they pre present in a way that is engaging and fun for the GM. If they're having fun, then they're going to have more energy. You're having fun. You'll have more energy. And it makes it easier to play those NPCs than playing them against a dead fish, right? Mm -hmm. um, or in some cases, a GM will let you offload an NPC, right? Um, so that the other players at the table who are not currently involved in the scene in another way can act out the NPC themselves, right? And then the GM yep. doesn't have to at all. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic, right? It I love takes it. that right off the GM. Yeah, it's great. Um, providing setting, knowledge, details, and continuity. So you can also learn the setting mm -hmm. of the game. But, and I say this with a little caveat, um, you can't be a know-it-all. So GMs sometimes uh, bend setting stuff a little uh, to make it work for their plots or where they want to go in the story. And so if you, you know, if you're playing a Star Wars game and you've seen every piece of Star Wars media ever, including read all the comic books or whatever, and that doesn't fit with what you know from, you know, uh, the Darth Vader, you know, Marvel series or whatever, um, approach the GM gently about that, right? And just, you know, check in kind of thing rather than being like, no, no, that's not how they do it in the books kind of thing. But there is stuff you can learn about about the setting that you can also then help your fellow players. Uh, but also if you just know stuff about the setting and the GM names a thing and everybody at the table is like, oh yeah, we know what that is. Like, it's great. That's a, like less of a thing that GM doesn't have to describe to the players and we can just keep moving on. Yep. Yeah. Cool. cool. I think that wraps us up for the... Um, at the table stuff. At the table stuff. Yeah. Right. So, outside of play. Yes. Outside of play. Um, and this is interesting is a lot of this stuff is a lot of this stuff is stuff that can be shared around much more than we do or expect it to be. Sure. Um, do you want me to go ahead and start this one? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So uh, the first one is setting up sessions and calendar management, right? Which is just, it's a thing that tends to fall by default to the GM, but there's literally no reason for that. Um, in my home group, um, most recently, um, 
when we had a lot of a lot of things going on uh, more than we were playing now, I was doing a lot of calendar management stuff and a lot of like, you know, posting reminders and the Slack and that kind of thing. Um, and but I was not running most of the games. We we have a rotating GM system, right? But like, um, you know, some of that calendar wrangling stuff um, was a, a responsibility that I took on. Before me, there were other people in my group as our group shifted around who primarily did some of that work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, establishing meta play. I'm sorry. You missed Jumped one. over one. Hosting. <laughs> yes. Uh, look, somebody else can host. Hosting is yeah. not exclusive. Like I said, I play one game here at my house. I play one game um, at a friend's house. I actually like hosting one of my games. I don't know if I would like want to host all my games here, but I really do actually like uh, hosting. It goes to kind of the type of GM I, I am, which is um, a definitely a service GM. Right. So I like to host. I have a nice space that I can host a few people with. I often bake for my players. Right. So like I, I am providing you a whole experience like outside of just the game. I enjoy like all of that. Now, other people can host. That's fine. Like I said, I play my other game over at uh, my friend Sean's and it's fine. I just throw my stuff in a bag and head over there. It's very nice that he offers to host. He's got a nice setup as well. Um, in terms of assisting, uh, you can help set up or you can help set up the game or help clean up the space after. Yeah. Those are two things you can do to, you know, help make it a little easier for the GM. If the GM's hosting at their place, rather than just throwing your stuff in a bag and taking off at the end of the game, help, you know, wrangle up all the dishes and, you know, offer to, you know, take out the garbage and stuff. My players are great at that. Like, because often we'll order out food or stuff and like, we'll have filled up my garbage can. Somebody will grab the garbage and take it out with them on their way to their car. Yeah. Or like when I I almost always host, whether I'm GMing or not. Um, and my my guys, when they show up, um, if we're playing at the table, the first thing that happens is whoever shows up first helps me expand the table so that we can all sit there and then runs downstairs and we'll bring up the extra chairs um, mm -hmm. for the table, right? Like that's helping to set up. That's the assist on hosting. Yeah. Um, establishing meta play. You got a little preview of this one. At least which, said it. Yeah. Conversations and planning, et cetera. Right. Um, somebody else can make conversa conversations happen between games. It doesn't have to be the GM. Right. So this is about taking responsibility and engaging your fellow players um, between games. If there's stuff that needs to be hashed out or figured out what direction you want to go. When we get back to the table, we need to decide if we're turning left or right on this fork in the road. Cool. Have the conversation conversation start that conversation don't make the gm start it mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um purchasing supplements right gm doesn't have to be the only person who purchases a supplement um the group can chip in the um the players could buy a thing for the gm or for the group you know if you're buying an adventure somebody could be like oh you know what i'll buy this adventure and just you know buy it and give it to the gm to run that kind of thing like that you know that that can be Depending on where you are financially, right? That can be a thing. Having to, um, when I was younger, that had been a big help, right? Not yeah. so much of a big deal now. I can I can buy pretty much all my supplements. Um, but even today, like, you know, my players and I share PDFs and stuff. Shh, I know, but we do. Like, we do. Well, of course you do too. Playing the same game. If you purchased the book, you would be passing the book around the table. So it's sort of correct. the digital equivalent. Correct, correct. I feel like you should read the next one. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, the next one is um, you can also learn the rules, I feel right? Like we've like, talked about this a couple of times now. <laughs> I, if you leave this episode with any one <laughs> one thing you could do as a player to help your GM, 
Boy, I cannot stress it enough, right? You can also learn the rules of the game. I feel Just, like there's a strong intimation that I should go read, like really in depth read the uh, Cortex Prime rules nah, I think this we're afternoon. Like, we're <laughs> like past that part. Like, you know, enough to actually play the game. It really is like, I will say this. It is a big deal when you are starting a new game. Yes. Um, because when you're starting a new game, the GM is like so much of your brain power is getting tasked to how does combat work? How do we make a skill check? Um, do the players even know the options on their characters? Yes. I, I just ran into this. Um, I ran into this a couple of weeks ago in my cyberpunk game where one of the players was doing something and I'm like, you are aware that one of your special abilities covers this, right? And they were like, Oh no. And I was like, mm, like, like know your character, right? Like know yeah. the parts in the book that cover your character and stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. No, know the, know the stuff that is personal to you. Yeah. But beyond that, also know yeah, the basic functions the of the game. Of the game. Yeah. It makes a huge difference in learning the game. If I don't have to teach the game as part of getting the game off the ground, then my focus shifts from teaching the game to telling stories. Yes. And that will also improve, you know, the four episode, you know, is it going to live? Is it not going to like, is it going to take or is it not going to take? Right. Yes. Um, if you're spending 20, 30 percent of your time teaching the game, looking up rules, kind of like that kind of thing, it, it's impacting how good of a story you're telling. Yes. Inevitably. Or it may not be as good of a story, may just not be as much of a story. Yes. Right? Your, your skill may be really good at telling stories, but if you're spending 20%, 30% of your time looking up rules and teaching everybody, then what you're not doing is advancing that story. Yeah. While you're doing okay. that stuff. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So joking aside, there is actually value in this. 100%. Yeah. Uh, the last one is um, the prep that the GM is doing. There's not a ton, again, that you can do here as a player to help them with their prep. Um, there are occasions where Phil will, for example, for our game, will say, what are you interested in seeing? Because he's looking for guidance on like what kind of stories we want to tell together. And so yeah. being able to come up with something instead of just saying, well, I don't know, whatever you come up with is great or whatever, like any kind of direction as a GM is going to be really helpful. Um, but there's not a ton you can do there beyond that, except for this handy product placement. I'm just going to slide right in, which is that you can get them a copy of Never Unprepared by the uh, famous Phil Vecchione. Um, after they run a few sessions, maybe because that book, all joking aside again, um, because that book very much is about um, pinpointing your strengths and weaknesses as a GM, and then making sure that you have the tools on hand to support your weaknesses um, and not worrying so much about like, okay, cool. I know I'm good at this part. I don't need to think about this, right? I don't need to carry this in terms of my prep work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I recommend that. It, it's nice if you give it to a new GM. It won't really it won't really resonate with them until they've prepped a few things. Right. Until they've like tried it at least once or twice so that they know kind of yeah. where because you have to experience where you're struggling. Right. Yeah, it's less of a 100 book and a little more of a 200 book. Like, sure. Run a few adventures, then check out Never Unprepared. Cool. Sure. All right, let's talk about setting up support, right? Like we went, we, we mentioned at the top of the uh, this segment that uh, we needed to provide support for new GMs. We also said that new GMs don't always know what they need because they're new. 
Yeah. Right? They haven't done a bunch of stuff they yet. I don't know. So we picked out four, uh, four things you could do that universally, I don't say universally very often, but I feel pretty confident on this, universally would be helpful for new GMs. For any GM, really, but especially for new GMs, yeah. Especially for new GMs. But again, sure. we want we want to give you a package for new GMs because the kind of thing that when you're trying to, when you're talking about somebody, like talking somebody into or, you know, convincing somebody that they could be the GM and you want to be like, hey, we're going to be supportive, you can actually say, hey, here are some things we can do to help you. Yeah, tangible. Get started. Tangible, tangible things. things, yeah. We will commit to doing if you GM this game. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. What's the first one, Senda? You're going to make it? me read it this time? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you could learn the rules of the game or the setting. Really if the could. setting is a published setting that you can learn too, you know, knowing that stuff so that the GM doesn't have to teach it. Yep. Yeah, you, you could absolutely. do that. 100%. Boy, I just keep getting called out here. <laughs> uh, number. Trust me when I tell you it's not just you. I know. I, I have many of players now. and I can tell you not everybody's like tearing through that book. Nope. Okay. Uh, next one is help with safety, right? Get, get good at table safety stuff. Know how the tools work. Know what to look for. We have done many, many episodes. If you're a patron, you can go into our archive. Many, many an episode we've done talking about safety here on the misdirected mark. I'm pretty sure um, the gnome cast has touched on the subject like you can they're, hear they're, us uh talk about it at one of there's one of the old um metatopia panels that is on the um what is jim what what is um oh my god all i'm gonna be words, able to plug it if you don't know what it is i can't remember what it's called yes oh my god oh my god you think about it okay. i don't remember it either but anyway in the show notes folks there's no shortage of discussions on safety get versed in it it helps if you are also able to um, facilitate um, or at least just assist with table safety. Yep. Uh, while, Senda, are you, are you still thinking or are you ready to no, do No, it's fine. One? I'm just going to put it in the show notes. I'm going to have to look sure, it up. Sure. I cannot remember. Um, take the plot hooks and help drive the plot. Do not make the GM work to get your character involved in the plot choose to actively be engaged this thing is not a thing your character you think your character would do cool think of a reason why they would do it i don't care what it is think of a reason why they would engage in that thing um i don't care how weird or bad you think the the plot hook is a new gm you just gotta take the bait you just gotta take it Take the plot hook. Yeah, take the plot hook. You can talk about it later yep. after the game to be like, oh, like that wasn't really like, you know, like I don't think I would have normally done that, but I wanted, you know, I was helping you out to get the game moving along. So I, you know, jumped in and grabbed that plot hook kind of thing. Like you can give that feedback later, but in the, in the, in the here and now, just take that hook. Take the hook. Come up yep. with a reason and take it. Uh, and like I just said, provide candid, but supportive feedback after sessions, during breaks, things like that. Learn how your GM likes to receive feedback, but provide that feedback. Um, it is how the GM is going to know uh, not only what to improve, but really the other part of feedback. Let the GM know, uh, let the GM know what is good. Yeah. Like what you're enjoying. That will create positive momentum. Yes. And just remember to have patience and understanding and definitely empathy when you're providing feedback, especially to someone who's really new at GMing, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
All right. After a few after a few games, the GM is going to start to figure out what kind of support they really need based on what's coming easy to them and what they're struggling with. And that's OK. Like, that's perfectly natural. But as they start to understand that, you can then have a deeper conversation about the other supports, like the other things that we talk about. Like, if you notice or if they say, like, um, they're really struggling on spotlight, you could be like, oh, there's some ways we can help with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, and like as yeah, players, like, we're going to commit to doing better about bringing each other in. Right. And we'll exactly. all work together to make this better. Um, and, you know, I think there's one thing. What other thing we should just mention here really quickly, which is um, if someone is going to GM a game and they're feeling anxious about it. One of the other things that I would strongly recommend is having the conversation about how to divide up the out of game responsibilities too, and say to them, we will manage the scheduling, we will manage the hosting, we will, you know, whatever it is that they are not interested or feels overwhelming, or just is adding to their plate to do make sure you're having that conversation too. And I think frequently people will know, from an out of game perspective, um, the stuff that feels more or less challenging to them, right? Like if hosting is a challenge, because they feel like they have to clean their entire house, but also somehow prep an adventure, then it's easy for them to say, yeah, I would really appreciate it if we could not play at my house. Right. So someone else hosts. Right. So, so just to make sure you're having that conversation too. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. And lastly, don't forget about established GMs. Established GMs also can use support. Yeah. Right. Just because they can doesn't mean they have to. One of my favorite things about my um, my aux game is that that table is very supportive. Like they do a lot of good work. And if you're listening to Children of the Shroud, uh, you can hear what a great job Chris, Jerry and Bob do about carrying the table for me. Like yes. there's a lot of stuff they do that I'm not actively doing, which lets me um, focus on other stuff, which I will just say for Children of Shroud, there is like, if there's eight things, there's nine things when you're recording, because one of them is you now have to be cognizant of how this might sound. Right? Boy, do I know that one. I know, you know, right. So, <laughs> right. And that's the thing. Like I GM a little differently, not very differently. I GM a little differently when there's no mics because I can stutter I can say things I can repeat things over and over it doesn't have to get edited or if it got muddled and somebody says what I just repeat myself as opposed to stop you know make a break for Chris to cut that kind of thing so that's like a ninth thing that's getting juggled in there and so because the guys do such a good job of interacting with each other and like setting up what they want for scenes and stuff like that like take some effort off of me which allows me to focus a little on Am I being clear? Am I doing a good job explaining things? When should I explain something from a previous episode as a reminder or even at a meta level where I use the uh, pause button to just check in yeah, and ask them questions, right? That is largely possible because they're also carrying a nice, a nice portion of the game for me. Yeah, they're, they are committing as much energy to the playing of the game as you are. Yeah. And doing things that normally I would be responsible for. They're handling themselves on my, you know, on my behalf and on behalf of the table. So fantastic. Mm -hmm. And just as someone who has a lot of experience with actual play, it's a fun actual play to listen to. So you should probably go listen to it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, Cool. And, And I think it is just a thing to remember is we're talking about this specifically from the perspective of helping out a new GM. But 
it is definitely every time I have sat down at a table um, of people who do one or any of this stuff. It's part of the reason that I really like the, um, the group that I play with, um, in person now bi-monthly, but you know, whatever, um, is because the more of this stuff that you get, um, from a group, the easier and more comfortable it is to just run things, even when you're really experienced. It's really pleasant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. So cool. Um, that is, uh, our take on how to support GMs from a player perspective. So players, uh, go back, rewind, listen to listen to the <laughs> advice again and approach your GM and offer up some of your own assistance. And just, you know, you don't have to do all eight things, but even if you're doing one of them, it's, and probably, it's helping it's probably, the GM with one of the eight things. Sure, right? and it's, it's probably learn the rules. <laughs> I mean, boy, I can't tell you that. And again, I say this, it is the, like, if you have all played D&D forever and you're just learning like the really like esoteric rules, it's not as much of a help to the GM. But if you are all playing a new game and you grab that book and read it the same time the GM's reading it to get ready for the game, that is a huge help. It really does and make not a, stress. a really big difference. Yeah. 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 All right. Excellent. Good. Uh, go out there, support those GMs. We want more GMs GMing. Yes. <laughs> we, you know why. You we know talk why. about it at the end of the show. You Every know why. Time. It's in our secret formula for the show. So anyway, in order for us to talk about that, we got to get through and uh, do the bidding of the network, which is to talk about one of the other shows on the network. Which one are we talking about? And just to be clear, when we say the bidding of the network, we mean my bidding, right? As the queen yeah. of the network. Good. Perfect. So I'm just yeah. going to do my own bidding. Um, cool. Today, we are going to talk about Misdirected Mark Plays, on which Phil, Chris, Bob, and Jerry plan uh, play and discuss a campaign they've created and are playing, which right now, as Phil has recently mentioned, is Children of the Shroud, right? And I am very much enjoying it. I'm super into it. <laughs> and I'm like annoyed whenever they stop to talk about game mechanics even though those conversations are also really good because i need to know what happens next damn it um anyway it means that instead of just hearing them talk about game theory and the game mastering um you can actually also hear the games that they are playing um so they can hear what's happening at the table and then also hear them talk about it right so it's the full circle of their exploratory play series mm plays very nice say so, where do people find us on the internet I hate this question these days. <laughs> it's getting more complicated. Oh boy, here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. Okay, you can still find us on the Bird app. Um, what are we calling it? Tafcat? X-Bird. X-Bird. No, no, Tafcat, the app form formerly known as Twitter. Tafcat. Um, <laughs> Don't make it more complicated for people. It's just Twitter. Okay, Twitter. So you can still find us on Twitter um, at Pandas Talk Games. You can also find us on TikTok as Pandas Talk Games. You can find us... Um, on Blue Sky now at DNA Phil and at Senda, just to make your life really easy. It's just at Senda. Um, and you can find us uh, on Mastodon, on Dice.Camp, at DNA Phil and at Idella Mithland. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. Or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. Did I miss anywhere? I'm going to have to like make a written list. Like this is becoming so much more challenging. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. Um, 
It is a lot. It's the landscape is complicated, but we made it to blue sky. So thank you to our um, benevolent um, patron who got us into blue sky and uh, we will pay it forward as uh, soon as we as invites come along. Yeah. And also, I don't know, let us know what social media you're actually using so that we kind of know where people are. Like, should we be on Tumblr? Um, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is impossible. <laughs> Tell us where you are. How much? <laughs> percentage wise i mean yeah i haven't used tumblr in a while nine, but i would 90 99 oh go uh for those who have never seen the ceo of tumblr brendan lee um brendan mulligan. Lee mulligan does a really wonderful ceo of tumblr probably one of that my favorite very funny yes anyway um go ahead and hit us up on social media leave us a question a topic a thing you're interested in, a thing that's bugging you, something that you haven't done yet and you want to do it, but you want some advice on how to do it, whatever it is, whatever it is that we can do to make your gaming more enjoyable, that's what we're here for. So we will apply our vast knowledge of games, our many years of playing games, and also uh, coming up, like getting, <laughs> for me for sure, and you getting close to, um, decade of giving GMing advice. Mm -hmm. We will put all of that, harness all of that to help you out because our goal here is for you to have fun when you are GMing because you will want to keep GMing. That is very simple. If you do not have fun GMing, you will not want to GM. And as you know, if you, you know, run out of GMs for your group, it's hard to keep a game going. So we want you to stay in and keep GMing because, again, that formula, if you're GMing, you're going to run more games. People are going to play more games. You're going to play more games. You're going to be in the hobby for a lot longer. That's what we're here for. That's what we're trying to help with. So send us those things. We're in it to help you out, just like our support topic from Jeremy today. Mm-hmm. All right. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get access to the Slack Room for Life. Whole bunch of topics, whole bunch of people. Come hit us up. Hang out with us on Fridays if you like. You get access to the backlog of all the shows. It's a ton of stuff. It is more than you can think. It is a ton of material. Yeah, there's um, <laughs> you, it would be it would be impressive for somebody to listen through it all, even just a chunk of it. But it is an impressive audio library of GMing advice that is at your disposal. You get access to the Children of the Shroud stuff at certain levels. So if you want to see or he, there's a part where I talk about the games before we like before we play them, you can hear that. If you want to see our notes, our setting material, that's all there. And then higher level patrons can get access to uh, stuff that we're currently developing. So. That's all there as well. Anyway, um, your patronage is what keeps the lights on. The server blink, the server lights blinking uh, and keeps the shows downloading. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. If you're already a patron, again, thank you. If you're unable to patron the show, um, it's not a problem. There's a thing you can do for us. And again, we've said it before. I'll say it one more time. Some of you have directly benefited from this. <laughs> So you should pay it forward if you haven't already. And if you have, keep paying it forward. It's still good. Senda, what's that thing? Yeah, you can um, recommend us to a friend. Um, have that moment on whatever social media place 
that you are now. Um, when someone says those those words that come up on some sort of regular basis, because someone is always asking this question, right? I'm looking for a podcast about RPGs and I kind of want it to be system agnostic and it could be actual play or it could be like talk about playing games. I'm sort of open to either. And that's us right? <laughs> so if you I'm see sure someone awesome. and you feel like we are a good fit for that comment, please feel free to recommend us to them. And then you can also, if you would like to recommend us to a stranger, leave us a rating or review on Apple podcast or the podcatcher of your choice, wherever you like to download and listen to your podcasts from that kind of thing really does actually help float the show a little bit further to the top. Um, but you know, those personal recommendations, those are, those are the that's the thing. That's the thing right there. That's the thing right there. Yeah. Well, cool. oh, say, Senda, we're playing tonight. What thing are you going to do to help me out on the game tonight? Uh, I don't know. You're very good at what you do. Do you really need help? Yes, you do. <laughs> This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop! Clicky. Clicky. Okay, tell you right now, I got an hour until I have to go get up and turn on the oven. So. Cool. We are going to finish the show in an hour, and then I will entertain the lounge people for a minute while you go turn on the app. All right, let's get started. Ryan, we're going to come in quick on this because we're yep. running behind on time. You'll hear, about it in the, you'll hear about it in the lounge. Yep. Um, All right. Cool. Uh, silence or counting first. Count first. Okay. You would think you would know this by I now. I know. We skipped a week and I forgot everything. Counting always comes first. Oh my God. <laughs> Get yourself together. We have an count. hour. You have to count. You have to count. You have to you start. You have to be prepared to I'm be able prepared. to count. <laughs> Stop being so red and blushy. You are not helping. <laughs> Bloop. Yay. All right. <sighs> Ready to go? Yep. Getting comfy. Bloop. Boom. Boom. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got.